Good morning. Good to see everyone. Thank you for praying, Benjamin. We do need to constantly be in prayer for our church, for our country. And I'm sure many of you probably all know someone who's very sick right now. Grateful that we can call upon the Lord. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're in the middle of a study of the book of Ephesians, and we're calling it Unity in the Body of Christ. And perhaps a way to think of the book is to look at the first three chapters as the church that is formed by God's grace. So those first three chapters are about how he's formed the church by his grace, pouring out blessings on them. But now we're in the second half of the book, and we're learning that the church is to function for his glory. In other words, it's not just to pour out blessings on individuals, but then as we receive as individuals and as a church these blessings, then God's goal is for us to grow and function as a community that glorifies him. So last week, Pastor Bob brought us through that transition. Paul says, now therefore, in light of what God's done for you, we want to function in unity. Well, this morning we're going to look at verses 7 down through verse 16, and we're going to talk about the goal of unity. And there's some things that I really want to stress this morning. There's a phrase that's used several times, and that's the word growth. Growth. And then there's also a phrase that's used twice. Every member. Every member causing growth. So when the Bible describes the community of believers, Christians... Paul usually uses one of two metaphors. Either he'll use the metaphor of construction, and he'll say, Jesus is the foundation, and now we're being built. We're we're growing as a a temple. But often he'll use the metaphor of, of a body that, as Christians, we're the body of Christ. But then he'll be even more specific, and he'll use age appropriate metaphors to say that individual Christians he'll call babies right, immature, and then corporately he'll he'll talk about the church being immature, but then growing. And so this morning as we look at our passage, we're going to learn that God's goal for the church is that we grow together. Christianity is not a a solo sport, that, that the means by which we grow is through a community. But it's very intentional that we, that we understand what's God's doing, how is he causing this growth, and what's my responsibility, and, and, and what is the goal here? So we're going to begin, and the first thing I want you to notice in verses 7 through 10 is that Paul's going to tell us that the risen Jesus empowers his church. The entire church is empowered with spiritual gifts. So if the church is going to grow, the first thing he's going to do is to say, well, I have to empower the church. I have to pour out the Spirit of God on each one of them and give them specific gifts. So while he emphasized unity in 4 through 6, he goes one body, one spirit, one Lord. Look at verse 7. But, even though we're in unity, he says, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, the couple things I want you to see here. Number one, when he uses the word grace here, the word grace is often used in regards to our salvation. Back in chapter two, by grace are you saved through faith. 
So saving grace is this undeserved favor that God pours out upon his people to save them. But sometimes Paul uses the word grace not to speak of saving grace, but of serving grace. That in essence, you could actually say that this word grace is a synonym in this context for spiritual gifts. In other words, to each one of us, God has graciously given spiritual gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, there are a number of verses that affirm this. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, the Bible says, One and the same Spirit has given all of us gifts for the common good. And then in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Peter 4, verse 10, it says, Each one of us has received a special gift from God, so use it to serve one another. So, a couple things to, to think about here. Spiritual gifts are a God-given ability for service in the body of Christ. When you became a Christian, you received at least one spiritual gift. There's about 20 of them listed in the New Testament. And they broadly kind of fall in the categories of speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts are things like teaching and evangelism and encouragement. And then there are a number of serving gifts like administration and leadership and service and helps and so you can, you, you can learn and grow and do a spiritual gift inventory. We want to help you discover your gift. If you don't know what your gift is, God doesn't play Marco Polo hoping to spend the rest of your life. Nope, 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 nope. He wants you to know what it is. But the founding starting point is to understand that you have a gift. So he says each one of us has received a gift. Now, what Paul's going to do is he's going to kind of divert a little bit in verses 8 through 10. He's going he's gonna to illustrate how Jesus pours out his spirit to give us these gifts. Remember when Jesus was on earth, he said, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going I'm to send the spirit. But what he does is he quotes from Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, it's a really interesting psalm. It's, it's a description of God taking the Israelites out of Egypt up to Mount Sinai. Now, if, if you've ever looked on a map, Mount Sinai would be south of the Holy Land. And in this psalm, God is pictured as a triumphant king who leaves Mount Sinai and ascends to Jerusalem up onto Mount Zion. And there he reigns as king. Now in Psalm 68, it says that he ascended to Mount Zion and he received gifts from men. Paul's going to take that psalm and he's going to use that illustration to say, just like that psalm, Jesus descended not from Mount Sinai, but from heaven. He came down to earth, and then he ascended back up to heaven, and he gave out spiritual gifts to his people. So let's look at this. It's really interesting. He says, therefore it says, now he's talking about the scripture. Christ gave us gifts. So he's going to use this psalm. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all things that he might fill all things, all the heavens that he might fill all things. All right, so let's kind of walk through this. One of the questions that we're asking here is, Paul says, when Christ ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. What is that talking about? Who are these captives? So the imagery here 
is that when a, a conquering king would, would, would defeat another army or a city, he would take spoils and he would take prisoners and then he would bring them back to his city and he would take those riches and he would distribute those gifts to his military men and then to others. So the question here is, what does Paul have in mind when he says when Christ ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives? There's probably two possible views here. The first possibility here is that he's actually talking about conquering satanic powers. That's a theme in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, it says, Christ was raised up far above all principalities and powers. So it could be his defeat of satanic powers, but also it quite possibly could be talking about Old Testament saints. See, one of the questions that, that arises is, where did people go in the Old Testament who were believers when they died? It doesn't appear that Old Testament saints went right up into heaven. It seems that when they were saved in the Old Testament, they went to a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And when Jesus gave a, an illustration of this in Luke 16, he described people in hell as looking across at people in Abraham's bosom and a great gulf between them. So it's quite possible here that when Christ died on the cross, conquered sin, paid the debt, rose from the dead, that when he ascended up to heaven, he took with him all of the Old Testament saints who now were gathered right into the presence of the living Christ. One of the, one of the possible supports for this is that when Jesus was on the cross, remember he said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. But where was paradise in the Old Testament? It appears that paradise was under the earth, where Luke 16 talks about them seeing one another. But now Paul describes paradise as in the third heavens. Second Corinthians 12, he says, I went up to the third heaven to paradise where Christ is. So either way, I don't want to get too far into that, but that's something for you to think about. So Jesus, the risen Christ, ascended up into heaven. And then it says, and he gave gifts to men. Now Paul wants to elaborate. He says, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Man, this is an interesting passage. What does that mean? When the Apostles' Creed was first written in the 300s, it said Jesus Christ was crucified, dead and buried on the third day he rose from the dead. But based on passages like this, Christians began to speculate that maybe Jesus actually went into hell. And so when it was revised in the 500s, it was changed. Christ was crucified on the third day descended into hell and then, or excuse me, descended into hell and then on the third day rose from the dead. So one of the questions that, that has risen is, did Jesus go down into hell? It says here he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Well, there's a couple things to think about. Number one, this could very easily be translated, he descended into the lower parts, namely the earth, okay? In other words, this passage does not prove that Jesus went down into hell. It could be just as easily translated. Jesus was up in heaven. He descended in the lower parts, namely the earth. He came down to earth, the incarnation. If it does mean that he did go into hell, 1 Peter 3 says, 
that, that Jesus made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, if it does mean he went to hell, it would not be, and this is important, it would not be to suffer, okay? So anytime, and sometimes uh, Beth Moore used to teach this, Jesus was in hell for three days. Oh, he was tormented. No. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. All of the, the, the penalty for sin was poured out in Jesus on six hours one Friday. Okay, it's finished. He didn't say, it's almost finished. I just have to go to hell for three days. Okay, so, so it's up in the air. I, I think I'm more comfortable just saying he, Paul's analogy is Christ came down to the earth. And we know why. He came to humble himself and die for us. But the emphasis isn't on his descent, but it's all, also on his ascent. Verse 10 says, he ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, that's, that's curious. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to fill all things? Because this isn't the first time Paul, Paul said this. Back in chapter 1, as he described the ascended Christ, he said, God raised him up and put everything under his feet. He gave him to the church, the fillness of him who fills all in all. I think what Paul means by he might fill all things is that Jesus might rule and reign over all things. In chapter 1, he, he put all things in subjection to him. In the church, he fills. And here, he ascended that he might fill all things. Remember when Jesus came out of the grave, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Paul says in Philippians 2 that when God, God raised him up, it says, he exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name. So the risen, ascended Christ now is Lord of the universe. Jesus has all the authority entrusted to him to execute his plans. And what he's doing on planet earth is beginning to take dominion and rule and to grow his kingdom. So let's, let's, let's not get lost in this, you know, sort of diversion. The point is he gave gifts to us, right? So, so I should start by saying, wait, I'm empowered by Christ? Yes. Okay, so, so, so what should I do with that now that I'm empowered with, by Christ? Well, this is our second major point. The same risen Christ who empowers his church is the risen Christ who equips his church to do ministry. If you were given a high-tech instrument and said, here's your new job, take this and use it, right? You'd be like, oh, what do I do? You need somebody to show you how, okay? So look at verse 11. It says, this same risen Christ, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So let's follow the logic. Everyone has received gifts, but then Jesus gifted certain individuals to equip and train everyone to use their gifts, everyone to do service here. These four gifts that Paul picks out are particularly gifts that involve ministry of the word and leadership and training. So it wasn't, he was just, wasn't just grabbing four gifts like healing, mercy, giving, but these four gifts are gifts that, that God entrusts to some people and, and it doesn't make them any better, but their goal is to equip others to do ministry. So notice, we won't take a whole lot of time to, to get into the details of what does it mean to be an apostle or prophet. 
but particularly the second two, evangelists. And then the last one, when it mentions pastors and teachers, the way that that's structured in the original language, many believe that's the same thing, pastor-teachers, that those who are called to teach in this setting, pastors are shepherds who are feeding and teaching. But one of the things that's critical is that we, we understand verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So a pastor, his primary goal is not to do ministry. His primary goal is to feed and equip and train and help every single Christian to do ministry. If someone walked into the church and said, who's the minister here? It would be very appropriate to say, all of us. Years ago, there was an emphasis during the Reformation on what, what was called the, the priesthood of all believers. But I think it's just as important we, we see here that the ministry of all believers, that each Christian, there's no such thing as a spectator in Christianity. Somebody once said that's the, the travesty of a football game is that there's 12 or 22 guys running out on a field who desperately need rest. And there's 50,000 people sitting in the stands who desperately need exercise. So in a church, and sometimes it's not always the people's fault. Sometimes it's a, the pastor's fault when pastors sort of try to do everything. That, that's not the calling of a pastor. A pastor's calling is to help everybody to see that they can do ministry. And the larger a church multiplies, the more it has to divide. Now, what happens is American culture just, just, just sort of is obsessed with this idea that I have to have the pastor visit me. I have to have the pastor pray for me. The problem with that is there's only a few pastors and there's a whole lot of people. And that's not even biblical. I can remember many, many years ago, Bob and I were talking to a guy who said, I'm very upset. I won't even tell you which one, but he said to one of us, I'm very upset with you, pastor. You only visited me once during this time. Now, my small group visited me many times, but you only did it one time. You see, that's missing the point. The point is there's no way that a pastor can visit everybody all the time. But all of us can do these type of pastoral ministry to one another so that we start realizing that it's not about a, a select group of people who stand up on the platform, but that we're all in this together. So I think if the New Testament was written today, you know what it would describe a coach's role as? Or, or, or a um, pastor's role as a coach, a player coach. Every once in a while in professional sports, there have been people who were actually both a player and a coach. I'll throw one out there, even though his character is shady. Pete Rose. When Pete Rose, you know, he, he was gambling on baseball. But Pete Rose, while he was the coach, was also still playing baseball. What I like about that is there's two extremes. There might be a pastor who's doing everything. He's going, I'm paid to be good. You're good for nothing, right? But there's also pastors who are telling people to do things that they're not doing. Now get out there and you should be sharing your faith. You know, you should be doing this. And you're like, Pastor, are you doing that? So the idea is that a pastor is not some perfect person, but pastors are shepherds and teachers who are trying to be examples. And I would suggest particularly elders hold this role of being examples to the flock and of teaching and helping people to do things for Christ, to discover that, wow, I don't have to have a degree from Cairn University to really be used by God. And so this is a really cool passage. Christ empowers his church, but then he gives gifted leaders to equip 
and train the church. And so this should get your mind spinning like, what am I, am I, do I know what I'm supposed to be doing? Is anybody coaching me? Am I eager to get involved? The third point that we're going to see here, and you can see it on your outline, is that the risen Christ grows and transforms his church through every member's gospel-centered activity. That's, that's a mouthful. He grows and transforms his church. In other words, God's not content. He's not just going, hey, I just want a bunch of numbers. Fill the chairs, right? Get some more soul scalps. God's desire is that the church grows, not just in, in, in quantity, but in quality, that, that people aren't just going, I raised my hand and accepted Jesus, but that people are being transformed, that they're not, they're not angry, bitter addicts, you know, totally out of control, but that by God's grace, we're learning how to be Christian spouses, Christian parents, learning self-control, learning how to love. This is God's goal. But notice that it takes place as every member is active in a gospel-centered way. So, so let's, let's walk through this. So he says he, he equipped, saints are being equipped for the work of service, the end of verse 12, to the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, the entire church is to grow, but grow in what area? Years ago, I remember I pastored a church 20-some years ago down in South Jersey. I helped to plant a church. This lady has a, a little boy in her arms like this. She says, this is my son, Philip. I said, ooh, how old is Philip? You know, she's holding him like this. Is he, is, he, is he seven months? No, he's seven years. Wait, he's seven years old? He had a very rare disease. Philip died when he was around 11, and actually many people came to Christ at his funeral. But for a child to be seven years old, you're still holding him in their arms. Something's not healthy. They're not growing, and there's a whole lot of Christians. There's a lot of churches like that. They're, 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 they're stagnated. They're acting just like unbelievers. And so the first thing we want you to see here is that our growth is to be in Christian beliefs and Christ-like behavior, right? So, so look at verse 13. The goal is until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Now, when the Bible uses the phrase the faith, it's not talking about your individual faith. It's talking about Christian doctrine, the beliefs of Christians. Christians belief system is a content of information that is passed on from the apostles. The Bible says in the last days, many will fall away from the faith. Jude called this Christian faith the faith which was once for all entrusted to the saints. Our job is not to come up with new stuff. Our job is to teach the whole counsel of God. And believe me, we are in a time where people are challenging that. They are resistant to that. They, they, they call themselves Christians. Paul said the time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine, but they will accumulate teachers after their own desires. So true Christianity involves Christians growing in their beliefs, but not just their beliefs, unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, but also in their behavior. Look what it says, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, Christ-like character. 
So if you're kind of not sure what God wants to do in your life, I can promise you this if you're a Christian. He wants you to grow strong in your beliefs. And that doesn't happen by accident. That happens when you read. That happens when you study. That happens when you listen to, to blogs. That happens when you listen to sermons. That happens when you, you're involved in Bible studies. You grow in your beliefs. But then you're also applying it to your life and growing in your behavior. In other words, what good is it if a person has a head full of knowledge, but they're a jerk or they're immoral or they're proud and selfish and unchristlike? So what good is it if I come to church and go, hey, man, preach, brother, oh, I learned so much. But I go home and I shout and holler and beat the dog and cuss at my kids. It's like, wait a minute, that's, that's missing the point. So God says, my goal is that all of us, so, so we don't go just, just the elite, the ones that take Pastor John's gateway course, but all of us are to be growing in our understanding of the Christian faith. It's staggering some of the things that Christians will say. They'll go, well, you know, um, I don't, what, what's wrong with abortion? I, I don't see anything wrong with homosexuality. I think as long as people love each other. Um, oh, I don't see any problem with this. You're like, wait a minute. Do you know what the word of, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a good person. I mean, these things are not what the Bible teaches. And so the only way we're going to grow is as we, as we get into the word and, and, and we apply it to our lives. So we see that the entire church is to grow in Christian beliefs. So Jesus is growing and transforming us. But the result of this growth is that there's a grounded maturity. Satan is so clever. On the one hand, he tries to prevent people from becoming Christians. The Bible says he snatches the seed, he blinds their eyes. But when a person does become a Christian, or at least profess to become a Christian, he changes strategies. Now I gotta get them off the ship. I've gotta lead them astray, either through sinful behavior or through twisting their beliefs. And usually those two go hand in hand. So one of the things that's important is that when people profess to know Christ, that they put down roots and they become grounded so they stick it out for the long haul. There's no such thing as temporary Christianity. It's all or nothing. It's perseverance. And the means by which Christians persevere is they have to be grounded. I remember leading a guy to Christ when I was in uh, community college before I went to Cairn. And I, and I went off to school for the next semester. When I came back, they said, oh, yeah, he, he's, he, he decided, he, he met this girl, and now he's a Mormon. He got baptized as a Mormon. We've lost people in this church to false teaching. People are been, oh, I've been listening to so-and-so. You know, this pastor really was intriguing to me, and it was garbage. It was false teaching. And so look what Paul says. As we're growing and learning the Word of God, as a result, we will no longer be children tossed here and there by waves. So notice this immaturity carried about by every wind of doctrine. Satan wants to mess you up in your beliefs. He wants you to, to, to join the, the, the world and go, oh, Christianity is too narrow. That doesn't work today. This doesn't fit into our culture. And so people start going, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of open to this. You know, years ago, Rob Bell wrote a book Love wins. Everybody's going to go to heaven. God wouldn't put anyone in hell. All of these lies that Satan's disseminating. And the only way that we're going to resist them is we learn the word of God, that we are not misled, because almost 100% of the time someone's misled, it's through somebody else. 
right? So the Bible says in the last days, people will pay attention to the doctrines of demons. Well, it's not like there's a radio station called Demon 101, and a demon comes on, oh, I'm a demon, don't believe the Bible. He uses people, pastors and new age teachers and, and charismatic, attractive, you know, come and have your best life now, and they're not preaching the crucified Christ. And poor Christians whose minds are not yet stable in the Word of God. How many teenagers go away to college and they go, Mom and Dad, I had this great professor and he helped me to realize the Bible's just stories. Science has shown that evolution and there's no God. And so God's desire is that we are grounded, not misled. But finally, we'll note that if, if, if Christ is growing and transforming his church and it's through every member's activity, then, then what do we need to do? Well, we need to understand that we're going to mature as every member is gospel-centered and active. What do you mean by gospel-centered, Tom? Look at verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. How are we going to grow? We're going to grow as we, as we speak the gospel into one another's lives. There's a book that, that many of you have been exposed to. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's called Gospel Fluency. And, and the guy, it's really good. Okay, you don't have to adopt everything, but, but, but he shows how, how the idea of gospel fluency is that, is, is that we gather together with other Christians and we talk about our struggles, we talk about life, and then we bring it back to the gospel. We don't just go, oh, I'm so sorry that your husband is a bad meanie, you know, I'm going to go yell at him. But hey, what, what's Christ teaching you? Oh, I'm so sorry that your wife, you know, da, 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 da. but hey, what's, what's the Bible? Hey, is it, you know, somebody recently shared with me, you know, attitude they had. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think that's, that's how Jesus would react? In other words, we're, we're, we're reminding people, hey, remember your identity in Christ. You are a forgiven child of God with the Holy Spirit. Walk worthy of that. And we love each other enough to speak the truth and say, I'm concerned. There are a lot of people who are losing their way right now. And if we're speaking the truth in love, we're going to seek them out and say, hey, haven't seen you for a while. Are you, are you, are you following us online? Are, are you still a part of a community? Or are you just taking a vacation from God? Is that even, is that even possible? And so sometimes speaking the truth is difficult because we're like, this might hurt somebody's feelings. And, and there's a way to say it. It should be very loving, very gentle. But as we're, we're gospel-centered and, and sharing the word of God with one another, encouraging each other, we're going to grow together. But notice how important it is that everybody's involved. Verse 16 says, Christ is the head from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which, notice, every joint supplies. Everybody matters. According to the proper working of what? Each individual. That's what causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In other words, don't be an appendix. You're like, what's an appendix? Well, we don't really know what its purpose is because you can take it away and we have no idea what it was for. Don't be an appendix in the body of Christ. 
Be involved, okay? And so ask yourself, if God's goal is for me to be part of a Christian church, it's not just showing up on Sunday. That's just like a minor piece of a much broader picture. And so as we close, this is a precious passage. Let me just remind you, Christ has empowered us. You have gifts, and many of you are using them, but many of you still haven't learned to or, or, or aren't interested, right? But Christ is now equipping you. So, so you know, we can't, we can't chase you down. You know, every once in a while, I, I help coach basketball at Karen. If a six-foot-eight guy comes walking by, I chase him down. But I don't chase everybody else down. Hey, you want to go, you want to, you want to, you want to play basketball? You wanna play? We can't chase everybody down. Say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? But, but those of you who are eager and saying, I want to grow. You know, where, where, where can I get involved? How can I, I, I need to get in some doctrinal studies. I don't know what I believe. I, 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 what, what ministry could I do? Help me to discover what, what I'm good at or, or what God has gifted me in. And so we see that the, 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 the risen Jesus, he's the one, he's the head of the church, not us, him. He loves Riverstone Church. He loves his entire church all over the world. And he's building it. And if we don't do it, he's not going to go, dang. He'll just blow out our candlestick and use another church. But as we allow God to work through us, it should excite you to go, hey, I, I, have, a, I have a stake in this game. And when you're like, well, I only come once in a while, you know, and if there's nothing else to do, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting the body. You know, I'm glad my, my eyes show up every day, right? Imagine if they're, ah, I'm not going not gonna to attend today. I'm like, I can't see. So when you're not involved and consistent in ministry and in the church, that hurts the body of Christ. See yourself. You know, I don't feel very important, Tom. I can't preach. Everybody matters. Every single person matters. So let's close by just, just kind of saying, okay, God, how do I apply this to my life? <clears throat> I want to start with this question. Do you feel that you are a growing Christian? You say, well, what do you mean by that, Tom? Are, are, you, are you being built up in your beliefs? So, so if you don't read during the week or listen to sermons, it's very unlikely that you're growing, right? If you don't talk to others about the Word. Are you, are you growing in your behavior? You're like, no, I'm pretty much, I'm the same. I act just like I always have. That's just <laughs> who I am versus who Christ wants me to be. And sometimes we get stuck. We're stagnant. You know, we need a kick in the pants or, or an encouragement. You know, don't let Satan just bind you up and, and coast through life wasting it. But then secondly, are you grounded as a Christian? Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe the Bible is the word of God? Do, do you know why you believe that Jesus is the only way? Do you know why Jesus died on the cross? Do you know why you believe in the Trinity? Do you know what you believe about heaven or hell or who's going to go to heaven? Do you, do you understand the implications of the gospel? Do you know how to lead a person to Christ? Are you growing as a Christian? And then, are you gospel-centered as a Christian? Christianity isn't just a bunch of rules like, stop it, be nice, go be like Jesus. It's always going back to to the gospel and realizing that I have the spirit in me. I am forgiven. I'm not doing this alone. As I'm relying on Christ and these habits of grace, he's helping me to grow. And maybe something like this. Are you connected with any other Christians 
in some sense of community? Or do you just, see you next week, right? Do you get together with other Christians, talk with other Christians? Do you pray with anybody? Do you have anybody praying with you? Or are you just kind of out there doing your thing? And then maybe something like this. If it says each member according to the proper working, what are you doing? Are you doing anything for Jesus? Like just, there was 168 hours just went by this week. Did you do anything for the Lord? I mean, did you call anybody? Did you, did you help anybody? Did you pray for anybody? Did you give to anybody? Do you, do you have any involvement in this church other than occupying a chair? Now, again, this isn't to guilt you. This is to invite you to, to become a part so that, so that we grow. And maybe, you know, there's a lot of used to be Christians. I used to be a Sunday school teacher. I used to do this. I used to do that. We need Sunday school teachers desperately right now. And I understand some of you are like, oh, you know. But pray and, 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 and do something, right? I promise you, if you email the church and one of the pastors, we'll get back to you. We'll help you to find something to do. There's, there's more than enough to be done. And maybe there, it doesn't have to be right to the church. Maybe you say, God, I feel like you're leading me to, to start a ministry, start a Bible study or or, or, or go down to uh, the city and work in a shelter or help with addicts or help people with their home, help kids with their homework or, or um, you know, watch the neighbor's kid a little bit because they both have to work. There's just all kinds of ways that we can serve and do stuff and use our gifts. And then the last two questions, have you discovered any of your gifts? You say, I have no idea what a spiritual gift is. Well, Okay. That's okay now. If a year from now, you say, I still have no idea. Shame on you. Because now God has spoken to you and said, I've given you a gift. I want you to discover it. He'll help you. We can put some tools in your hands. You can read. There's inventories. People can, yeah, you're really encouraging. Or, or you know, some of you are like, I just love to help. I just love to serve. I just love to give. I just love to pray. I just love to show mercy. There's all these gifts, right? And then finally, are you a forgiven follower. I mean, all of this is, is a waste if you're not part of the, the family of God. And you don't become a family of God member by going to church. You enter into a relationship with Christ. And I, I trust that most of you here are Christians, but I would assume some of you aren't yet. Ask yourself, if you were to die today, do you know if you're going to heaven? Do you, do you believe that Christ, when he was on that cross, paid for all of your sins and said it's finished and that God would completely pardon you because Jesus died for you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died to transform you? Are you a willing person who would say, Jesus, I do believe. I'm, I'm willing. I want, I want you to change me. You see, a lot of people don't become Christians not because they don't know it here. They don't want it here. They love their life. Bible says men love darkness rather than light. So ask yourself, if you're not a Christian, can you think of any good reason why? What are you waiting for? You may not have another opportunity. Life doesn't go on unending. The Bible says now is the time of salvation. If, if God's speaking to you, why wouldn't today you just tell Jesus, Lord, I really do want to follow you. I don't deserve it, but I thank you that you died. Please forgive me. Please 
come into my life. Change me. Put, his, put the spirit in me. Help me to, to become a forgiven follower. Whether you're young or old, there's always room at the cross for you. Jesus said, no one who comes to me I will cast out. There's nothing you've done that he'll go, now nah, you're, 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 you're too full gone. So let's, let's pray together and just commit our ways to the Lord. Jesus, thank you so much that today as we walk through your word, that we're reminded that you are the risen Lord of all. You fill all things. And you're building your church, and each one of us who's a Christian can look back and see your hand in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't just give us saving grace, but serving grace. And I pray that your word will settle into our hearts. Thank you for so many gifted people in our church who are teaching and equipping others. Lord, if there's anyone here who's not saved, may they, may they make that decision right now. Just tell Jesus, you believe and you're willing to follow. Ask him to change your heart and forgive your sins. And Father, I pray that even during this COVID, when it's so difficult even to minister to one another, that you will give us great hope that you have not abandoned your church, but you're building your church. May Riverstone continue to become a growing Christian community that's grounded, gospel-centered, and growing in our beliefs and behavior. Make us more like Jesus. Forgive us when we fail. And we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week. I'll be up here if you have any questions or